even thinking back to like my earliest experiences on the opera stage, it was I it was never like the crowd for me. It was never like, oh, the crowd loves me. That's that's what I like. It was I I still can't put my finger on it. I, you know, everybody says, oh, it's the process you love. Well, yeah, sure. But I think it's really more the, the people. I think it's really more being with a group of people who are who are working so hard to make something happen. Genius, it takes a lot to get on my show. Genius, you're probably someone we'd like to know. You're really good at stuff, you probably like to dance. You like long walks and you wear clean pants. Genius, get onto my show. Howdy, folks. Welcome to Living with a Genius. I'm your host, Omar Crook. I've got Josh Shaw on the show today. He's the artistic director of Pacific Opera Project, uh, a company here based in Los Angeles. They go by the acronym POP. Um, they've gotten some international attention over the past uh, couple years, and they're right in the middle of uh, performing Lucia di Lammermoor in Glendale. We talk about that on the show. Uh, oh, you'll also hear me confuse Star Wars for Star Trek. It's the kind of thing some people get real mad about. Now, to be fair, it's something that I don't normally do. I'm, I actually know the difference between Star Wars and Star Trek. Uh, I just haven't been feeling that great, and I think I was pretty hopped up on cold medicine when I was talking to him. Uh, and you'll probably hear some of that in the interview, too. But you know what? The show must go on, folks. That's the entertainment biz. Anyway, I'll keep it short. Hope you're all having a great day. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope you enjoy the interview. Here's Josh. Cool. Cool little setup. Thanks, man. Nothing, huh? No power or anything. No, no. Just all runs on batteries. It's pretty oh. great, isn't it? Yeah. Do you have one of these? The no, Zoom? no. Uh, man, it comes in handy. You know, I don't care about the sound. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like we're musicians or anything. Jeez. Yeah. Josh Shaw. Thanks for being on the show, man. Yeah, man. I'm um, thrilled. So before we, before we started rolling, uh, we, we met... Uh, <laughs> kind of inauspiciously i i dropped out of a show like last minute kind yeah. of, was it a decade ago oh let's at least. hope let's hope not that long ago was it i think so close yeah. anyway i yeah, don't remember defane yeah whatever whatever uh, the big ring festival was yeah the, the the wagner uh unknown opera yeah for you know I, i've come to the conclusion that lots of operas are unknown for very good for reason, a good reason right yeah. i mean yeah i dropped it because i frankly couldn't sing it i mean yeah. just unsingable for me and you stepped in gallantly, valiantly, <laughs> stupidly, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and took over the show. Uh, so how? Uh, uh, let's. I want to do a little rundown for sure. Well, I know you're from the Midwest, yeah. Well, no, I'm I'm from the South, really. Oh, you are. I grew up in Louisiana and uh, Arkansas, Texas, but then I went to all of high school in Montana. So, oh, Montana's not the Midwest, is it? No, no. I guess when you're from California, everything, everything is, to the east of us is the Midwest. Yeah, I've noticed that. Every, every, everybody on the East Coast and the West Coast, if they, it's just Midwest to them. There's a big, big part of the country, apparently. Yeah, so I moved around a lot. Uh, yeah. Culture shock. Uh, Why is that? What did was your preacher's dad... kid? Yeah, oh, preacher's I see. Kid. Yeah. So okay. We moved about. Uh, well, I've lived here 14 years. I can't believe it. Uh, and before that, I think the longest place I had ever lived was three years, maybe. So wow, yeah. Was he like a, a, a into tent revivals or what? What I mean, what, why, what? <laughs> no, it's just kind of the life of uh, preachers most of the time. Uh, you oh, know, they're there for a couple of years. They they do their work and they, 
you know, feel called to go somewhere else. And, mm-hmm. and they go there. And you didn't follow in your dad's footsteps at all? No. Uh, I mean, I did go to a Baptist college yeah. a million years ago. Yeah. and uh, But I was always performance, never church music. But I mean, that's how I got into singing and music uh, was through church. Sure. You know, singing as a kid. And, and then uh, in high school, we had choir. And then next thing you know, you're got a master's in opera right i mean it was literally like that like i had i didn't even know what an opera was sure you know i had never been to a professional opera and i was getting a master's degree in opera can you and believe you that mean, you mean as you were getting a yeah because you, you go to, you go to, to school opera? yeah you go to school and you're you know i i knew going into school like music's a tough road you know sure. i knew that i at least knew that much sure but i was like oh i love high school choir i'll go teach high school choir and so um that lasted not even a semester. And I was like, I'm not doing all this education stuff. And uh, what really did it for me was I had to be, and I played French horn too, and, but you know, you had to be in the marching band for like two semesters and I did not want to do that. <laughs> I wanted to go to the football game. So uh, that was the end of that. But then what's your other option? You're, you're a performance major, right? Yeah. So you go into your lesson and you they, they give you opera to sing yeah and then you're just suddenly on this track i guess this is what i'm doing yeah and i had even so i went to uh started at university of montana no opera there obviously and then i I went to uh, washington baptist university which is in the middle of nowhere arkansas no professional opera there got a whole degree um sang a lot of opera watched a little bit on video back then and then um went and got my master's and it wasn't until I was in at Southern Illinois University when I went and saw um I mean my first opera wasn't even really an opera it was Sweeney Todd with Bryn Turfle sure the lyric wow but I mean you know come on well (laughs) okay anyway you know it's it's just this foolishness of you get on a track and before you know it's too late you know the first thing I ever auditioned for I was cast as a lead and loved it and it yeah, was well, I mean, what was it the was it the adulation that you were getting as a singer that really propelled you forward, or was it your a real love for the genre? I think it was um, the work. Like I, I used to love practicing. Yeah, like which sounds crazy now when I think about it, but uh, you know, I loved like the rehearsal process. Yeah, well, that's what I learned when I switched to the director side. Is what I really loved was the process. Uh, but back then, it was the singing. I would sit in a practice room far too many hours a day you know, um, and just sing because I was pretty good at it and getting better all the time. And it was easy just to, you know, think, oh, this is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. I'm yeah. good at this, you know. Well, you know, big fish, small pond. Oh, I had the same problem, uh, the same, not problem, but the same experience coming from Cal State Fullerton and then going to a professional opera for the first time. I remember because I was really the big fish in my school. My friend Marty and I did all the, he did all the baritone solos. I did all the tenor mm-hmm. solos for five years. And, you know, with orchestras and around town. And and I got hired by Opera Pacific to be in their chorus, yeah. you know, making a living, yeah. making some money. And I got there. It was Flying Dutchman. And I got to the <laughs> first rehearsal with the principals, and they all opened their mouths, and I went home, and I think I cried for like 10 minutes. I was like, oh, well, I, I can't do this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> what did your dad think about going into music? Was he upset that you weren't going to follow in his footsteps, or oh, was that no. never a thing? I don't think that was ever a thing. No. Uh, I mean, I guess... Some people probably assumed that. I mean, I was, you know, I'm very much like my dad. So, yeah. Are you a religious uh, person? Would you consider yourself a religious person? Yeah, sure. Um, still not nearly to the extent I was back then. Um, what do you attribute that to? Oh, God. Who can say God? Um, 
you know, I mean, more than anything, time. Like I just, yeah. you know, once I moved to LA, it was hustle, hustle, hustle all the time, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, Sunday morning, well, I, I used to go to church when I would sing at church yeah, right. and get paid to go, right, but, right. Um, uh, you know, it's just life changed for me and yeah. just became less and less of a priority. Sure. So tell me, uh, like I said, when we met about a decade ago, you were, you were a singer and I, uh, I was singing at LA Opera. I've been there for 13 seasons. And so I've gotten to see, I, I settled into LA Opera. That's, that's my thing. Uh -huh. I love it. I don't go out and, I mean, I gig occasionally. I, I've been asked to do some things, but, uh, I like where I am. So I get to see the change in things. And for, for you, from my perspective, there's been this huge, like, what is this Pacific Opera project yeah. and what, and I mean, it just came out of nowhere and suddenly you're in the paper, you're yeah. everywhere. It's be yeah. become a great deal. Tell it, me how it, that happened. Yeah, it was, it's been crazy, crazy ride. So uh, we're just, we started July of 2011. Um, we've done 24 productions of all sizes at all locations. So I was singing a lot here in Los Angeles and... Um, just gigging, right? I mean, yeah, just, just singing and, up work. and being a waiter and the rest of the time and, uh, you know, and outside of Los Angeles too. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was doing these productions where I would literally be embarrassed to invite anybody until open, you know, uh, final dress. Sure. And then I'd be like, okay, it's going to be okay. You can come. Um, and it just got frustrating and I was doing more and more, you know, I just couldn't help myself. I don't come from a, a technical background or a directing background, um, but it was just, I couldn't help myself with like, oh God, if, if I put in four hours today, I could make the set look twice as good, you know, and, or I, I'll bring my own costume, I'll make my own costume or I'll, please let me help you with marketing a little bit. And eventually I was just like, wait, why, why do this for everybody else? I think I'd be better off just starting from scratch, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, that's kind of how pop started. And really when pop started, it was just about, let's give Los Angeles singers some better opportunities. And, uh, I was, it's crazy to think now, but when I started, I thought, you know, why are all these directors doing these crazy concepts, which if you know, any of my work now is the exact opposite of <laughs> what I would say. Um, and we can talk more about that in a second, sure. but, uh, you know, Papa's really started with just like, let's do some quality, uh, productions at a reasonable price and let's, let's use our singers time wisely, which was my biggest pet peeve back then. So we started with, uh, you know, tiny rehearsal schedules. Uh, you know, in the first couple of years we put up a double cast marriage of Figaro in 11 days, which is insane. Wait, total? Total. You mean from first music to curtain? Opening night. Yeah. Two casts. Yeah. Uh, and it, you know, but I was a lot younger back then. <laughs> Seven years is like 30 years of opera right, years. Right. Um, you know, that was 11 hour days and then stay and work on the set and stuff like that. And uh, you did it all yourself with some, with the well, little help. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, I, we've added help over the years, but in the beginning it was basically me and Stephen Carr it doing everything. It was a Tom everything. Sawyer uh, yeah, uh, yeah. situation. Yeah. yeah. And, um, but it was fine because I was loving every second of it. And, uh, from the very beginning, Papa's had just the best talent ever mm -hmm. i mean it's it's embarrassing the talent we get for for what our budget is mm -hmm. you know uh so it was just amazing and what do you it, attribute that to why do you attract so much talent in town is it your personality um, is it the way you run rehearsals is it i it's that's a big one um the way we we uh run rehearsals i just had singers tell me two days ago like thank god you know you're not so and so company um 
they just own your life for mm -hmm. a month. Mm -hmm. And, you know, here we come in with this Lucia we're doing, which is enormous, mm -hmm. almost 45 people in the cast built the whole stage from scratch. You know, yeah, I've seen uh, some it's of the outside. It's, it's I mean, it's epic. crazy. It's epic. Uh, we started rehearsals on uh, basically two weeks ago. So, um, yeah, it's just about using time wisely, you know, and realizing that when you're paying people what we're paying, you can't, you don't own them. They're not, you know, they have lives outside of this. Mm -hmm. um, so they can't be there 12 hours a day and you sure can't have them there doing nothing. You know, it's fine to keep them 10 hours a day if they're engaged and getting work done and mm -hmm. they're happy to be there when that's the case. So that's a big thing that's been a draw. And then, you know, it's a lot of luck, a lot of luck. Uh, just kind of when pop started, there were a lot of, uh, there was just a, a group of singers coming out of grad school here or who happened to relocate here who were just desperate for work. And we gave them an opportunity and, and then that spread and then that spread to their friends and their friends. And now the whole country, as far as singers go, knows, knows about pop. And for the most part, everybody would love to work here from what I know. Um, and it's just reputation, you know, which is great and scary because it takes one horrendous production to kind of tarnish that. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. do you uh, do you miss being on stage as the singer? Not at all. You don't. No, nope. no. Uh, and I didn't. You know, when Pop was founded, it was very clear. I, I was never going to sing in productions here. Uh, that's the downfall of many companies. Um, uh, that are founded basically so somebody can sing. Like and a vanity project yeah, in a way. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. just never going to sustain itself. I mean, you can be the best tenor in the world, but if you're being the best tenor in the world and running a company and, you know, doing the marketing and stuff, your, your singing is going to suffer. Mm -hmm. um, so that was clear from the very beginning. And uh, to my and then I tried to still sing other places for the first year or two, and it became clear really quick that's it's not possible there's just not enough hours in the day to keep the voice up and do a good job at this so mm -hmm. yeah i don't miss it it's um i guess i even thinking back to like my earliest experiences on the opera stage it was i it was never like the crowd for me it was never like oh the crowd loves me that's that's what i like it was i i still can't put my finger on it i you know everybody says oh it's the process you love well yeah sure but i think it's really more the the people. I think it's really more being with a group of people who are who are working so hard to make something happen uh, on whatever scale you're on, you know, mm -hmm. from the smallest company to the biggest company, this unifying thing. And the people are cool most of the time, too. So and that's that's what I think is at the heart of Pop's um, success is that, you know, even in the most trying situations when it's 100, literally, it was like 107 degrees mm -hmm. when we were rehearsing the other day, you know, everyone's there for the same purpose and everyone for the most part always has a great attitude about it and they're happy to be there even when it's you know horrid like that so mm -hmm. does does uh coming from a performer's background uh, rather than a di directorial background uh has that has that been a, a a liability or an asset for you or a little bit of both oh i think a asset i i can't imagine direct how these people and there are some good directors who who were never singers never performers do it because I just to put your yourself in the shoes of a performer. I mean, it's so alien, um, which I can even recognize more now as I step away from it. Like what 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 you guys have to do on stage is just, you know, superhuman, we like to say. And um, I can't imagine never having felt that 
and then trying to tell someone what to do on stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's fine for big chorus scenes and, you know, you're painting pictures at that point. But, you know, to be in an intimate scene where, you know, you're asking a soprano to sing a high F and lay down and face up stage mm-hmm. and all this stuff. If, you, if you've never felt that at all, how how do you know what you're talking about? You I mean, know? did you ever have a, a, a moment where... Uh... I don't know how to, I've kind of lost my train of thought, but as a singer, have you ever been surprised uh, about, gosh, like I've been singing for a long time. Mm-hmm. Now I would imagine that, I mean, I've worked with all sorts of directors, film directors, internationally famous opera directors. I would imagine that if I were going to try and direct an opera, I would maybe be stumped like, oh wait, what what do I do here? How the technically, or what am I asking the right thing? Or how how did you get your chops as far as uh, the the flow of the drama and the conceptual element of directing? Uh, you know, you just learn by doing. I, I don't know. I just jumped in like the Star Wars thing. How did that Star Trek? Oh, oh <laughs> see, I just did that thing that people get punched in the face yeah, for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, well, that, you know, I mean, my go-to joke is uh, every good idea I have starts with bourbon. Yeah. And, uh, but um, that uh, started with, you know, you know what it usually is, is you're in this box and you have to make it fit somehow. That's when the best ideas come. When like, I always say when I have a million dollars to do a show, I'm not going to know what to do. It's always about budget or venue or casting or something like that. And that's where the most creative stuff comes from. In that instance, uh, it was at a summer festival and we were doing Lucia actually. And the artistic director was like, what show can we do um, with the same cast basically? And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh God. I mean, the only thing I can really think of is abduction and I kind of hate that show. Um, It's just, you know, uh, the book's always horrible when it's in English and it's kind of racist sometimes. and. And he said, well, let's do it. And before I even thought, I said, oh, I'll write a new English libretto. Don't worry. And I had no idea what I was taking on with that. Um, I've done several since, and I actually love it. I think if I could make a career doing that, I might just do that. Um, So then I started thinking abduction, 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 which led me to alien abduction. Mm -hmm. And then uh, started thinking about that a little bit and then tried to make it work with Star Wars because I know that franchise. Star Trek. No, Star Wars. Oh, really? I tried to you make really it, did? Yeah, because oh I, we'll I know see. that I know that franchise a lot better than, well, I used to know it a lot better. Uh, <laughs> and then I said, well, that's not going to work. Maybe Star Trek and um, or Star Trek, as I used to call it. Yeah. My wife always calls me out on. Um, and so I started watching these original episodes. And the way they dealt with race and the way they dealt with... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and it was just like, oh my God, this is perfect. Right. Every episode is like, um, oh, my gardener's going to start up. That might be a problem. No, it's all right. Okay. Every episode is like, um, you know, how do we rescue these people from this planet? Yeah. You know, and yeah. uh, Shatner is such a character. And then, um, you know, also I noticed every episode was about some way to get girls in bikinis. And I was like, well, I can definitely sell some tickets with that. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, it just worked better than better than I ever deserved or uh, thought it would, you know. And then it just, you know, uh, again, because of the talent, because of the couple, especially the couple, the two lead guys I had the very first time. Yeah. I mean, they just took it and ran 
crazy with it. And then who were those? Was that that uh, was Brian Cheney and um, Robert Norman? Yeah, both enormous sci sci fi nerds. So um, they just went over the top and beyond, and uh, it just you know then it just had a momentum of its own and. Anyone who saw it wanted to do it. So, did that give you some national attention? Was oh, it yeah. that production? Yeah, yeah. That really got um, me personally on the map and Pop as well. Uh, even though that technically didn't debut here at Pop, it was at another place. But then when we did the big production here in North Hollywood and then the Ford two years later, it mm-hmm. really, it's it just got posted today at some company in Canada, you know, and like it's a. I mean, is that a production that you lease out? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, so far I've gone every time to direct it and just head it up. I see. But uh, hopefully soon it can kind of just have a life on its, its own. own. Yeah, um, and have an AD pick up for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that would be great. How do you handle the marketing? Do you do that yourself? Uh, most of the yeah, I do all the marketing myself uh, still. Hopefully for not too much longer. We right. have a we have a, a marketing committee now at Pop, and we do have a PR uh, person who's great. She's based in um, New York, um, but they handle PR, and I still do all the marketing, um, mm-hmm. which is a full time job mm-hmm. in itself. And something you know that's a gr- the best thing about this job is um, you have, and I'm sure it's similar in what you're doing. You have to learn like a new skill, like every production. There's right. always something like I learned Photoshop, then I learned still working on social media you know like because that changes Dude, that's every a full-time week. job like just on its own. Pe- yeah i know it changes every week like how you can reach people and um so that you know and then graphic design and set building right in the beginning i was doing costumes which was just oh. you have a costume person now? Oh, i have the best costume person in the world maggie green um i mean wait wait till people see what she did with lucia and i am so embarrassed to say what our budgets are i mean they're nothing Mm -hmm. and she's costuming you know how do you increase your budget what's the next step uh well we are um you know uh lucia will be the most expensive production we've ever done it'll also be the highest selling and the highest grossing which is amazing uh particularly you know pop is so comic centric so every time we don't do a comedy i get a little nervous Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. But uh, it's well, already is pretty funny, though. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you saw. I, I did this uh, fake news campaign where I sent out an email blast and a big social media campaign with uh, our two leads as um, Lucy and Desi and called it I Love Lu- Lucia. And uh, unbelievably, many people thought I was serious. Like, what are you doing? This isn't yeah. a comedy. Yeah, except some people literally asked for a refund when they found out it wasn't a comedy can you believe that really yes two people said oh i'm just i love you guys but i'm not interested in coming to a traditional lucia i so, don't see how i mean that's it would be horrible it no, would be, that's it would, i mean it's very possible to make it funny but it would be wrong yeah, if you said it and you're wrong maybe <laughs> yeah, yeah like, i mean it would just be wrong um but yeah so uh increasing budget you know where our board is growing all the time and and uh, really maturing now in our sixth seventh year and uh audience is growing uh we'll have 1500 people for this run which is great right where we were hoping to be uh we're going to launch a campaign soon uh 2000 by 2020 so the the goal is to get 2000 people per production um by 2020 which is hard because our model is to stay under 300 seats why is that uh 
it's just one of those things that you're makes pop special. No, about, no, 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 nothing no, like that. No, it's just about the experience. It's just about being close. The intimacy. The intimacy. Yeah, um, we break that rule occasionally. You know, we had twelve hundred people at the Ford last year, but um, people love that feeling of like the voice just running through you. You know, I go to LA Opera all the time, and it's a great hall and everything. But you know, you don't shake when somebody sings. I mean often someone is sitting as close as we are right now to the stage. It's, sure. it's insane. Sure. Uh, and th some people just eat that up, you know, sitting that close and others just love to be within 20 feet. You know, we're going to have 300 seats, uh, mostly at tables for Lucia and the, the furthest chair is 70 feet from the stage or something like that. When you that. say tables, you mean it's like dinner theater? Yeah. So most of our um, productions now, if we don't do tables, people get upset. Uh, they come with... Um, tables of two or four so you buy a table for two people or four people mm -hmm. and uh they're tiny little 24 inch tables and they have uh you get a bottle of wine and a plate of snacks for the show and it's like the most expensive table is 150 dollars. so for under 40 dollars a person wow you're getting a full opera with orchestra you know cast of 45 and uh food and wine are you thinking of it i mean i know it's already a non-traditional business model but are you thinking about i don't want to use the term franchise but like sending out multiple shows all over the oh god at the yeah same time? i mean or i mean sure. how do you do that yeah exactly how do you do that more manpower is how mm -hmm. you do that um yeah that would be wonderful to do someday uh, right now we're just you know trying to yeah, maintain yeah, yeah. maintain what we're doing here but in just a few years i mean you've gone from one one place to a very distinctly different place yeah yeah. on the map so yeah i don't think that's unreasonable to yeah. even plan for that kind of thing yeah we hope we hope uh that's kind of the future i mean there's so many places even in our region where i think this would work every wine country stop i i just it blows my mind my wife and i go to wine tasting a couple times a year and by 8 p.m there's nothing to mm -hmm. do yeah and so every time I go into a winery, which is very often, I'm like, hey, would you guys have a performance space? And it just hasn't happened yet, uh, primarily because we just don't have the manpower. But, you know, it's it's built for something like that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, our shows are still, by operatic standards, kind of pop-up mm -hmm. shows, you know. they mm -hmm. uh, That's how the, the whole table thing started, was uh, we were doing Sweeney Todd in 2012, which we had no business doing, but it went great. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of us were sitting around over here in Eagle Rock and said, well, what are you doing after um, Sweeney? Oh, I got to go back and wait tables. I got to pick up some more lessons, blah, blah, blah. And somebody said, oh, it's just like Bohem. And, uh, and then I had the idea, well, why don't we just do Bohem? So we, some of those guys and some others, we put together our hipster Bohem five days after we closed um, Sweeney. We opened a Bohem four days of rehearsal and then open yeah and uh that was the, the called a pop-up and that was with piano yeah and seven singers so uh and that was called a pop-up and that's where this all started and that was the first time with tables i think we had 23 tables that that time we have 75 mm -hmm. per night this time mm -hmm. um and that just grew into a monster you know the next year it was barber of seville we added two nights the next year was carmen and that sold out you know before we could even turn around sure um and now we <laughs> that same venue now we cram 42 tables into a night and uh people love the table thing yeah, you know it's funny i see i see you doing exactly the opposite thing that so many of the uh smaller companies 
used to do around town and still do around town where they would take an unknown opera and try and make it popular. You're trying to take popular opera and make it more uh, scaled down or more interesting. Yeah. More, yeah, right? Yeah, well, I mean, again, it all comes down uh, a trap I see companies falling into around here all the time is why take on more than you can do, you know? Why do a grand opera when you know you can't find the singers for it the chorus for it, the costumes the for venue, it. The venue, nothing. Yeah, so yeah. we try, now that we're a little bigger, there's a lot more options. But in the beginning, it was literally, okay, here are the four operas we could possibly pull off well. How can we do them on our non-existent budget? And that's why, that's how Pop got all these weird spins. It wasn't because I was dead set on doing a hipster bohem, although that one works incredibly well in Highland Park. It was like, I can't have period costumes. I can't mm -hmm. have snow. I can't right. have... Um, so how do we do it on the cheap and still make it work with... It, it all comes back to the text, though, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so occasionally we get flack um, for our updates, very seldom at Pop, but... Well, flack's not always a bad thing. Yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think... Every every product every updated production we've done has had its roots in the text. It's not like we're just setting it on the moon because we want to. You mm -hmm. know, it's like no, this this works with the story, mm -hmm. and it makes it more relatable to our audience, to the to the person off the street. Um, they can relate and say, "Hey, I know that scene from this movie," or "I I I saw that person walking down the street today." Practically, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that's been a. A huge thing for us from the very beginning is trying to, you know, our catchphrase is accessible, affordable, and most of all, entertaining. Um, so we always look for how, what setting, what venue, what experience can make it the most accessible to everyone, mm -hmm. not just opera people. And mm -hmm. then, of course, we try to keep our ticket prices down. And then uh, entertainment's number one mm -hmm. because, um, you know, so many times, I know you know, um, our art form is just this. It's not entertainment, it's mm -hmm. art, mm -hmm. right? And there's no reason it can't be both. Yeah, I mean, at its most elevated, it often is just an event, right? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> a place to be seen in your tuxedo. Yeah. Let's talk about Lucia in particular. Okay, uh, Lucia. Um, you know, we had this great experience with Falstaff two years ago at Forest Lawn Glendale Cemetery. Um, and it was just beautiful. It wasn't an oak tree, but it past as an oak tree mm -hmm. huge tree and we did this big big production out there and how, how do you do that do you have it mic'd or what do you do uh we do uh just floor mics very mm -hmm. simple and actually um before the orchestra came in this week we didn't need mics i was seriously thinking about um it's just a great space it's like the set has a big wall across the back okay. this time which helps but also it has this concrete um kind of rounded wall around the whole thing and it just and there's a huge cathedral on the side, so the sound just travels great up there. Wow. Um, so we have four floor mics, mm -hmm. you know, and no sound technician. We just turn them on and let them go. No labs, no wireless, no, no, nothing. No, wow. no. Okay. Those are my nightmare. Every time I have to do a show with one of those, I'm just panicking yeah. the whole show. Yeah. Um, so uh, we were like, well, what, what else can we do up there? What makes sense? Um, and, you know, Graveyard, final scene of Lucia seemed pretty good and you know Lucia has fans from all over the world who just want to you know want to hear their soprano sing it um and uh so we went down that road and um you know we knew it would be well attended but mm -hmm. I mean it's turning out we added seats to all performances already mm -hmm. um 
and uh, the the production just has grown and grown and grown. Like at one point we had thirty six people in the chorus. I think we're still at like thirty three or something like that. Uh, we got bagpipers. We got tons of sword fights. Uh, I mean, we built a whole castle. It's enormous. It's like fifty or sixty feet wide. It's uh, twenty feet tall. Two level, three levels. Um, you know. I mean, you're getting into some real liability here. <laughs> yeah. What do you, I mean? Do you do you have to carry insurance? Oh, you have oh to yeah. Carry all that. I mean, you have to carry it's a real big deal from, now. You know, even if you're it's a two person show, you know, with a piano, you should have insurance. Unbelievable. But, and you have carpenters. You have all. Uh, uh, no, mean, you're looking. You're looking at the carpenter. Really? Um, yeah. I mean, a couple guys in the chorus help. My stage manager help. But this was a massive. This was the maybe the biggest thing I've ever built. And I'm now, now sure. you're talking about logistics. Like, how do you break it down? What, how many pieces does it come in? How do you transport it? You had to yep. design all that stuff yourself? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't have to. It just saves us about $10,000 if I do it. You know? And this is something that you can potentially lease out in the future? Uh, Well, or the costumes, it... I mean, the set will go get broken down and oh and just reuse go away. yeah reuse for whatever It'll we do be, next oh yeah, i yeah. see okay i mean we we've been over the years we've been collecting you know components scaffolding steel yeah. deck flats all that stuff then you're thinking about now, now you're talking about storage. storage nightmare uh we just moved to this house a year ago and when that happened all of our storage went away so we, we rent a you know way too small unit for 400 bucks a month right oh now oh my god it's just, you know, it kills me. Wasted money. Yeah. Every, so if anybody's listening and has a warehouse, <laughs> <laughs> we, we can give you a nice uh, charitable yeah. donation yeah. voucher. Wow. Um, yeah, it's 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 a business now. I mean, it's a full-blown business. We're going to be a quarter million, I think, this year, uh, which is, blow, I know, is nothing compared to big companies, but blows my mind. We started with $3,000 right. seven years ago. Um and we're still trying to our goal every every production we do except i think lucia just broke this rule um the budget we set could be reached if we sell every single ticket at full price um which is unheard of for opera wow. right so that's your break even yeah um we don't have to do that you yeah. know we don't have to make that and we don't anymore but uh in the first three years we ran about 90 percent ticket sales covering production that includes salaries, that includes rentals, that includes Well, there everything. were no salaries back then. I mean, you know, singers were getting paid and, sure. and orchestra were getting paid, but there were no, you know, I wasn't salary. getting paid or yeah. anything like that. Yeah. But uh, but no, this is production budget. So like the music director, the orchestra, right. sets, costumes, all that, we aim to cover it. In a perfect world, they would be covered by ticket sales. And then do you take donations? Oh, yeah. You have yeah, corporate sponsors? How do you, uh, I mean, how do you pay the rent on this house? Yeah. <laughs> it's my <awesome>. wife. <laughs> um, that's, that's the secret that's, to being successful. That's always in opera. the secret. <laughs> Marry somebody rich. Always. Uh, no, but uh, the company. Yes, we have a good, we have you know a couple hundred donors at this point. Right. Uh, mostly smaller. You know, a couple five thousand level, mm -hmm. and mostly in the hundred and fifty dollar individual range. donors. So you know, we're the Bernie Sanders of uh, opera it. companies. You know, I love it. How do you get your singer? Did you audition for Lucia? Yep. Uh, yeah, we audition in L.A. every November, December, and then we go to New York and hear three or four jam-packed days. Where do you of, do that at? NOLA? Uh, usually Opera America. Okay, that's yeah. good. NOLA's better better than NOLA. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're going to come up with the flu if you go to NOLA. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's just so sad. There's so many talented singers out there. Sure. I, you know, I could have cast Lucia, the role of Lucia, eight times easily and been 
completely happy yeah. with, with i happen to know jamie very well yeah I and i am thrilled she's saying she's it. doing Boy, a it's job. right right in her yeah, wheelhouse yeah, it is it is she and she's she's a little bit crazy so it's perfect <laughs> <laughs> yeah she's doing a great job they're both and bevan hill sang the mary widow for us last year and is back and is doing a great job and then nathan graner i mean what a voice that guy yeah has. sure and then uh dan schofield has done several roles for us um crowd's gonna love him love hate him yeah. uh and then uh robert robert norman's a mainstay of pop and then bill grundler's uh and uh daniel bond i sure. mean luxury I casting well. yeah. with daniel bond singing elisa it's just like i say it's just uh lots of embarrassing talent. yeah embarrassing talent. the talent we get you know mm-hmm. um it's great i i just feel so lucky um to get to work with those kind of people yeah yeah now, this episode is going to come out on Monday, so we will have missed your opening. But tell me the dates uh, because, you know, we'll have a whole nother week. Sure. So we opened this past weekend on the 9th and 10th, two sold-out shows. And um, we have performances at 7 o'clock on Friday the 15th, Saturday the 16th, and Sunday the 17th. Uh, there's seats available for all of them right now, and there's actually some tables uh, for Friday and Sunday still. And tell me how to get tickets. Uh, PacificOperaProject.com. Okay. Or you can call 323-739-6122. Thanks for being on the show, Josh. Hey, thanks, man. This was great. Well, there you have it, folks. The talented and kind Josh Shaw. Thanks, Josh, for being on the show. Uh, as you heard on the podcast, I met him about 10 years ago. I pawned off a, a role on him, a Wagner role. Just couldn't sing it. There have been a few times in my career where I just thought, you know, I, I can't sing this thing. And that was one of them. Actually, I pawned it off first on my dear friend Todd Strange, a colleague at LA Opera. And uh, he um, somehow, I think, got Josh to to agree to it. I don't know. I'll have to ask him. It's a funny story. But anyway, Josh got stuck doing it. That, however, was probably one of the things that uh, helped him decide to to start the uh, Pacific Opera Project. So I'll take credit for that. You're welcome, everybody. It's a a great company. Go see Lucia Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the end of this week. Hope you're having a great Monday. Hope you have a great rest of the week. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please, please, please go to iTunes rate, review, and subscribe to my podcast, Living with a Genius with Omar Crook. Thanks again. Remember to always be kind to one another. Until next time. You like to dance, you like long walks, and you wear clean pants. Genius, get onto my show.